It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Bij Burger King gebeuren spannende dingen. Wat dacht je van een classic cheeseburger, chicken nuggets burger of sundae voor maar 1 euro per stuk? En dat is nog niet alles. Alle King deals zijn maar 1 euro. Haal ze nu alleen bij Burger King. Hello and welcome to a Liverpool Echo podcast special. I'm Neil Jones. I'm your host for the next 45 minutes or so. I'm joined by our Liverpool editor, Andy Kelly. Hi, Andy. Hi, Jonesy. Hi, our Everton editor, Greg O'Keefe. Good afternoon, lads. Yeah, and uh, delighted to say on the line, special guest today, um, Mike Calvin, the author of several books uh, that adorn my, my shelves, um, Family, uh, which I would highly recommend the season with uh, with Millwall um back in in League 1 um the nowhere men the story of a football scout um and also living on the volcano which explores the the role of the manager in english football and all three of those that i've mentioned are must reads as is his latest offering which is called no hunger in paradise which looks at the uh, world of youth football and youth development and what it takes to become a Premier League or even a, just a professional footballer. Um, Mike, thanks very much, first of all, for joining us. A pleasure. That's a, that's a pleasure, Neil, and, and thanks for that introduction. The, the check's in the post. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, that, I, I was guaranteed. I was guaranteed beforehand. Um, Mike, um, first of all, tell us about, about the book, some of the themes that it, it explores, and also where the inspiration for writing it came from. Obviously, you, you've, you, you've touched upon it in, in some of your other books, but obviously this is a, a more in-depth look. Yeah, I, I think what, what I try to do in the books, and one of the great privileges of, of doing a book compared to, say, writing a column, where I, you know, make, as you guys would know, you do your 800 or 1,000 words, you've got 100,000 words to really contextualise the subject, but also really look in, in real depth. And what, I, what I've always tried to do with books is to humanise the issues and just tell it through you know, the, the eyes of, you know, of, of ordinary people within what is an extraordinary youth development system um, so I probably started off with and, and, and it's a very very broad and very complex subject and I could probably to be honest have written about five different books on on the whole area uh, what I've done is tried over the last sort of 18 months really researching it is I've, I've gone across the board trying to examine all aspects of youth football so you know going to the sort of great Premier League palaces that have Bringing it up all over the place, right down to the park pitches, which are uh, you know being not used and abused, um, and looking at the system through the eyes of, of concerned parents, of academy managers, you know, right all the way up to the um, sort of inner sanctum of the England team, where um, you know I, the, the, at St George's Park there's a, a password-protected room where uh, it's a, you, you go in and, and there's the digital, the famous digital clocks on the wall with the, with the, the numbers in, in red counting down to when uh, England will win the World Cup, which apparently is going to be in, in Qatar in 2022. And, and, and that's, that's, that's sort of the nerve centre of English football in many ways because what you've got is a bit like an NFL draft room or a 
Major League Baseball draft room where every England age group squad is on the wall and you know in a, in a specific um, uh, grouping uh, and so you, you get a flavor for the system that, that, that's unfolding um, so it's a very very broad look at it um, and I suppose the fundamental core there were two questions really asked myself the first was, was was essentially you know I need to understand the power of this great dream that, that you know we all probably had as kids and um, uh, you know some people fulfill that dream the odds are quite frankly terrifying so that the survivors of the system are pretty much statistical anomalies you know to give you a couple of indications of that only uh, it's around about a million and a half boys play organized youth football in England at any one time one time only 180 of those uh, will become a Premier League pro so the success rate is 0.012%. Now, somewhat a wise man told me on a radio interview yesterday that he'd, looked, he'd gone and looked at something um, very similar in terms of uh, the uh, probability factor. And basically, that's the equivalent of being hit by a meteorite. <laughs> so, you know, uh, we're, looking at, we're, you know, we're looking at some pretty, pretty amazing numbers. You know, less than, less than 1% of the boys who enter an academy at nine make any sort of living from the game. That's any sort of living. The, the dropout rates are terrifying. Um, you know, there's a huge drop-off rate in that sort of scholar area and first-year pro area, 16 to 18 because of the Premier League 2 now, now I know at Everton, you know, David Unsworth is, is a great exponent of Premier League 2, I would, you know, respectfully beg to differ with it, I've, I've found it sterile, sterile and formulaic and, you know, frankly, unrealistic. Um, uh, but, and, and what I've found around the, the, the shires, as it were, is that a lot of boys are being kept on, almost to be bodies in those teams, because the problem with football, as you guys know, is that it's a team game, and within any within any age group, there's always you know the two or three likely lads, if you like, and you, you need a team to play around them, yeah. and you know so people so kids are being kept on, as I say, are bodies really, and and you know I, I suppose that 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 second question is well look if there is that that terrifying dropout rate. It, it begs the question, who picks up the pieces afterwards? And what is the game doing to our kids? And that's what I wanted to, to try and explore through the book. Uh, I've tried to make it really balanced. I've, I've been very critical in certain areas. But, you know, I, I met some fantastic coaches, some really inspirational guys who understand the importance of, of their responsibilities uh, and the delicacy of the situations. But I've also seen bullies in action as well. Um, so what is the game to and what is the game doing to the kids? Is it worth the fractured families? Is it worth the blighted lives of young kids? You know what's happening in the, in the game is there's a race to the bottom, where you've got absurd scenes where scouts now are scouting three and four year olds, which is you know bonkers. 
Yeah. Yeah, I heard of a, a six-year-old released from a club because he picked up bad habits. That's <laughs> six years old. <laughs> well, you know, you should be playing Cowboys and Indians. Right, Mike, um, people will be interested to know, do, are there any, and it's a murky world, of, uh, as you've discovered no doubt in the book, but mm. in terms of the, the rules for young kids having representation or whatever you want to call it, agents or whatever, I mean, what, what rules govern anyone approaching a kid? I mean, can a kid at any age go in basically and have representation? Is he entitled to that? Um, how does that, that element of thing, I think people are genuinely have this figure of the, the, the murky agent working in the background or whatever, but... Um, well, it, yeah, yeah there, there is a, yeah, theoretically, which I, I'll put that delicately, <laughs> theoretically, it's, it's basically, you cannot act for someone commercially um, as an agent in terms of contractual things, uh, uh, until 16. Yeah. Um, there is, there, you know, you can be, you can have an, uh, almost like a consultant or an advisor before that. Um, but it is the, the problem with it is that it's an under-regulated world, and it goes right back to FIFA themselves, and then the FA, where essentially they deregulated agents. And you know, essentially, you know, you used to be able to um, uh, uh, you know, operate as a licensed agent by by undergoing um, you know a test, and you know it was, it was um, you know quite a rigorous test on contract law and, and, and you know specific examples to, you know, to the trade. Essentially, FIFA it was too hard to police, and so what they said was, okay, look, basically we'll have these so-called now intermediaries. You pay 500 quid and, you know, box your uncle, you're away. So there's been this explosion of sort of uh, what, what a, a number of people have, have described to me as plant pots. They just stand on the touchline uh, at these youth games and approach, you know, basically make themselves a nuisance, approach parents. Um, and there's a lot of sophistry going on. You know, I can do this, I, I've done that. You know, all it takes, for instance, is one boy to put a 25-yard free kick up on YouTube, and the next thing you know, he's got eight, eight agents onto it, uh, or so-called agents. So it's an under-regulated area, and the and, and there are some good agents. You know, there's a very good agent who, who, who I was very impressed with, who uh, you know began, uh, funny enough, uh, working for Liverpool um, as uh, he was doing there. Um, he, he ran a language school and then got into the game, he basically taught the Liverpool players English when 16-year-olds you know, came in from you know, wherever. Uh, he would take them around the, the city of Liverpool, test them on you know, place names and that type of stuff. A guy called Alan Redmond. Uh, worked with Rodolfo Burrell and, and Pep Seguera. Um, so he was an interesting guy where he actually did the exam but he's scathing about what's happening. So what's happening really is you've got sort of unscrupulous agents who are approaching boys of 12, 13, 14 on social media through Facebook or Instagram or whatever it is. You know, I've seen agents be smuggled into training ground matches in the back of complicit parents' cars. Um, you know, one ground, I saw agents handing out cinema tickets. Now, you know, let's not beat around the bush here. To me, 
that's tantamount to grooming, yeah. and it's disgusting, and, and and I think it's wrong. And and I do have I'm, I'm critical of the the, the, the Premier League's strategic approach to youth football, but I do have a great deal of sympathy with them because basically what they, it's a cops and robbers game. They're chasing they're chasing this at the moment, and it's a very sort of secretive area. But you know we we the reality is you you know if you strip away the gloss and the superficiality of it all, it's a pretty more murky world as you mentioned, and you have. Uh, you know, a black economy. Mike, it's Greg. You say over cinema tickets there, and I've heard as well examples of of that being kind of like just the the you know, the tip of the iceberg. Because I believe there's all sorts of boots and kit and training stuff, and even up to offers to you know look after parents for cars or significantly reimburse them for mileage they're doing, and that's all before again they're 16. Some of the bigger agencies probably see that as an investment worth making, but as you say, you can you can view it as as inducements or definitely grooming to an extent, can't you? Yeah, you can, and uh, you know you don't have to to look very far to my great to to, uh, to find out. You know, you, you, you know, I spoke to several academy managers who were tearing their hair out because you know they had they they had developed a player up to a certain age, like fifteen, sixteen. Yeah. Next thing you know, the parent's got two hundred fifty thousand pounds in his back pocket, and he's gone to another club. Yeah, you know. And now that is um, that is the sort of thing that is happening. Now, obviously, from a legal standpoint, you know that has to be anonymised. And but you know, I, 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 there, there are many such issues. And when I spoke to the Premier League around about it, basically, I just said, look, you know, ultimately. I see your problems, but you know, ultimately, your brand is being damaged by this. Mm. And um, you know, I, I do feel that there is a will within the Premier League to sort this out. Because I, I spoke to another leading administrator who basically put it like this: he said, "Football is, is, is something. It's like a badly run business. Sometimes it's a silo mentality. So, at football clubs." You know, over the last 10, 12 years, you know, the, the academy's been in the corner. It's, oh, yeah, well, that's where we do the youth stuff, you know. Now, what's happening now, because of, you know, the topicality of the issue, the importance of the issue, the increased awareness of the need for safeguarding, um, which is, again, um, you know, being accelerated by the sexual abuse scandal, in which now football, whether it likes it or not, is facing um, almost like a PPI type of problem. Um, so they need now to be seen to be doing things at, at youth level. But what, so what has happened is that the, the academies have, have been operating almost independently, and, and to use the, the analogy of, of, of a leading administrator who spoke to me, it was that. He said, what's happening now is that they've, taken it, they've lifted up the rock and seen what is going on underneath. And they, you know, they're thinking, blindly, you know, this has got to stop. And so there, are, there, are, there have been abuses and excesses which have, have almost been, um, it's not tolerated. They've certainly been um, uh, you know, allowed to, to, to flourish. Now, I think you know, we're, we're entering a stage where you know, the cops are beginning to catch up with some of the robbers. But frankly, um, you know, you speak to, to, to people, clubs, every club will tell you, yeah, we had this boy nicked by that club. 
but that club has done exactly, you know, that particular club has done the same to another club. Yeah. You know, so, so there is a there is a wild west element to it, and, and 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 again, going back to the reasons for doing the book, what I would hope as a, as a as a parent, as a football lover, as someone who I find the process of achievement, you know, enthralling. Something so someone from my background, as you know, also someone who's observed the game over you know, too many years to remember. What I want, or would hope, this book would do, is stimulate a debate which has been long overdue. There are really good people in the system who deserve not to be tarred with the brush that that is very easy to uh, to apply to some some people operating there. You know, there are bullying cultures. There's bullying cultures in in in, uh, in in coaches, but there are enlightened coaches. There are um, parents who basically commoditise their children. Is that the is that the biggest problem, Mike? Is it one the, of the horror? Yeah, because of it yeah, feels it like because that's what agents play around, on, isn't it? You know, you, you know, you can see it with you, you see the you see the pound signs in in parents' eyes. Yeah, and. Um, you know, in a way, it's what they're led to believe. You know, I, I, you know, someone told me today that they, they were an under eight game in which a parent was referring to his son as his pension plan. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's absurd. And in, in the lengths that people are doing now, you know, I, I'm hearing that, you know, parents are putting um, 3G pitches in their back gardens and putting floodlights up so they can practice in the back gardens. You know. <laughs> It's, and, and they're going to four or five different clubs in a week. So <clears throat> this is that, they're not. That's that's prompted by this assumption that there's a very very big pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Now what it is, that pot of gold actually is usually a dustbin, yeah. which is where most of the kids end up. I think and, so. and that's yeah. what worries me. And that's where I think football. I say, having said that, there are good people in the game. I think the good people in the game, it's in their interest as much as anyone to actually focus the debate. What's going on here? You know, where where are where are we heading with this? Does there need to be a correction to the system, if you like? Because if you look around it, there is this whole now mystique around, uh, even outside established club academies, where you've got. Um, you know, grassroots clubs saying, yeah, you know, we, we've got 12 boys in academies here and, you know, this kid came through us, you know, come and join us. Uh, there are private academies springing up. And the, the, one, of the, one of the highlights for me in, in, in doing the book was an opportunity, actually, which, which probably exists in, in plain sight. And that, uh, there's, a, there's an academy, well, it's not an academy, it's, it's a training centre in Brixton, the Brixton Recreation Centre, uh, run by a uh, former gang member called Stedman Scott. And um, this place runs on fresh air. It costs two pounds a session. Most of the kids can't afford this, or the parents can't afford the session, so they do it for nothing, basically, to all intents and purposes. Now, 40, they've got 40 kids in academies already, uh, you know, currently as we speak. 20 pros. Um, the, the, their biggest um, alumnus is, is Nathaniel Klein. Now, uh, Nat came from uh, a block of flats called Summer Layton House in Brixton. 
gang controlled, it's known colloquially as, as Gun City, murder zone, that type of thing. And uh, what I found enthralling about his story is that it's one of hope and achievement in an environment which militates against hope and achievement. You know, that's, 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 it's, that's an area where, you know, gang warfare is rife. And, you know, kids are getting stabbed and killed on a regular basis. You know, there are, there are quite a few examples within the book of, of boys who's, who have best friends murdered as part of, you know, gang feuds and things like that. Football at its, at, at its heart offers hope, uh, you know, and, and, you know, the ability to overcome economic circumstances. And that, so that's that's where someone the... like Nat is a fantastic role model. Yeah, yeah. And that, that's one of the things, that social element to it, Mike, in terms of when we, you were mentioning their parents seeing it as a way out almost and, and the kids potentially being, you know, a pension plan or whatever. Mm. That, that, it's, it's the other end of the, or the other well, side of the coin, isn't it? It's, it's, what, it's, what are you going to do as a parent, right? Okay, you're a parent, you might be unemployed or you, 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 know, you, might, you might be unwaged or whatever, whatever the jargon phrase is these days. Yeah. Now, if someone's coming along to you and say, well, look, I'll buy you a 12 grand Mercedes and um, I'll make sure I look after your rent and uh, by the way, sign this because you know, I'll look after your boy for you, uh, what are you going to do? It's you difficult know, to judge people, isn't it? Cause, oh, no, and, yeah. and, and, and I don't. You know, yeah, yeah. I, 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 you know th there is an element of it where um, I understand why those pound signs are in people's eyes. Yeah. But, um, again, um, I think the system is complicit in, in, in building up the dream so that, so that the dream itself is unrealistic. You know, I don't, I don't think there's any realism there. And especially now when we've got bigger clubs you know, almost transplanting families from their base. You know, so you, you, you say to an 11-year-old boy, okay, come to me and you can come into our school and you know, we'll look after you till you're 16. The reality is that that kid's pretty much unlikely to make it. So put yourself in his position, right? So he's 11 years old and little Johnny's gone to Liverpool or Everton or City or United or Arsenal, or wherever it is. And... Um, Immediately, he's known in the area that he came from as Little Johnny, who's now at the big club. Yeah. Now he gets he gets released. He goes back to the environment in which he was brought up, to the school friends, to his family members. What is he now? He's oh, he's a boy who failed. So he's stigmatised by that failure. Now, I know that's the reality of modern sport, not just football. But let's look at this through the eyes of that 14, 15, 16-year-old boy. You know, what am I going to do in my life? All my mates are laughing at me because people, and that's what, this is what, I, what uh, disturbed me when I was talking to people who've been in that situation. There's almost a glee that these kids haven't made it. Oh, yeah, getting too big for your boots, you know, all that sort of stuff. Now, <laughs> what are we becoming when... When people are doing stuff like that, yeah. um, so it is. As I say it's a very, very. It's 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 a system which which encourages parents to do sort of extraordinary things. Really, you know, there was there's a there's a lad in the book who's, who's only 15 now called Zach Brunt, uh, 
at Sheffield United pre-academy at five. He won a competition at Man United when he was six. Uh, the next thing you know, his next training session at Sheffield United uh, is, is live on Sky Sports News. He's the new David Beckham. Um, at eight, he goes to um, Aston Villa after having trained at Man United. His dad um, admits, uh, you know, I had him in tears, that, that I'm ashamed of how I behaved. I used to scream at my boy when he was six because he didn't train very well at Man United. Um, now, he went, so didn't work out at Aston Villa, went to Manchester City. Both clubs wanted transfer fees for him. He ended up going to Atletico Madrid. And this is a family where, um, you know, a strong family, but um, two of his three brothers are um, severely handicapped. And so there are you know, medical care issues around. And that the entire family was, um, you know, predicated to the success of this boy. Um, and I think that's the, the whole, uh, and I'm not, saying, I'm not saying that this is a meal ticket situation in any way, because, um, you know, like Zach's dad has gone away and he's studied sports psychology to try and get an idea of his own head. Um, but uh, in general, there is a meal ticket culture. And, you know, as, as um, you know, Gareth Southgate said, look, you know, football, he said, we don't talk enough about the hardness of it. It's a shitty, horrible world. And that's a direct quote. And I think that's what we're, you know, that's where we're about now is that uh, Southgate, Gareth Southgate, and Dan Ashworth as well at the FA, I think they get it. They get, they get the, the delicacy of the issue. Uh, and they understand the brutality of the game. Uh, and they're trying to marry the two. Um, but... You know, as, as Gareth said, look, you know, I don't know that there's a boy in our England under 16s. I don't even know whether he's going to have a career. Now, how can you tell me that there's a boy of 8 and 9 or 10 who's going to be a pro? You can't. Um, yet there are people who are going around who will tell you, yeah, I know a pro. You know, there's a, there was a Premier League Academy guy who said, yeah, I can, t I can spot a pro at 6. Well, I'm sorry. You know, unless you've got X-ray eyes, I can't see how that works. Because you, you have to understand, it's not just talent, it's character, it's personality, it's how, it's the whole package. And a hell of a lot of luck, Mike, as well, along the way. Oh, tell me about it, yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, uh, that's where, I, I spoke to a behavioural specialist, the Harley Street guy, um, and he came up with a phrase uh, where he said, you know, these kids are tropical fish, in Shark Bay, you know, they're innocent, you know, they're nice and colorful, but they're easy prey. And he, he made the point that a bullying coach is a real, you know, can, can cause real damage at that age, you know, screaming and shouting and intimidating. And that does happen. Yeah. You know, there are, as I said, you know, I always try and balance it. There are some really good guys. The guy at the FA called Nick Levitt, who is excellent, yeah. really excellent. Now he's come through the, a, a system where he was a coach at Fulham, and they went away. He took they took their under nines away, and uh, it was a European tournament with the big European clubs in sort of couple of um, sort of um, Dutch, Belgian, Italian clubs, and uh, you know they they got their 
you know, they got their game plan sorted out and the coaches and he said I only understood what we were dealing with when they had like a routine bed check two of the players had teddy bears on their pillows another one slept in, slept in a nappy that is what it, that's the reality of it that's the reality of it, it, it Nick Cope tells another story where he, uh, he he prepared this great 45 minute training session on the sort of principles of counter-attacking and he tried to get it going and it basically you know fell flat on its face and it wasn't until afterwards he understood why and what had happened was this these were under tents what had happened was that one of the boys had told a teammate that father christmas didn't exist and it freaked the kid out and and, and so therefore the whole session just collapsed because of it so again i tell those stories because i think it gives an indication of what we're dealing with here a 10 year old boy is not half an adult yeah he's a 10 year old boy and i think football needs to be reminded of that regularly like in terms of in terms of clubs i mean it, it's a big image thing isn't it academies and academy football and a lot of clubs trade a lot on on how well they they develop players and have reputations for bringing players through to the first team. Do you find that those clubs necessarily are better at, at bringing through young players, or are the problems that you've you've referred to across the, the last sort of twenty minutes or so are they are they there at pretty much every club, perhaps even more at bigger clubs? Uh, yeah. Well, I think what, there is a there is a supermarket sweep culture in youth football where it's like um, I'm going to grab as many kids as I can so that the other clubs can't get them. I think I think that's you know that's pushing that that's the sort of thing that's always been thrown at Chelsea and and, and Manchester City. But I say you know I, I, the book goes into the Manchester City Academy in some depth. I went to their school um, and spent time at the uh, at the academy as well. And funny enough, that's where the the title of the book, uh, No Hunger in Paradise, actually flipped into my head when I was walking around there. Two hundred million quid, you know, two hundred million pound academy. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and, and City would say, well, look, you know, we have got the best facilities that other people could match us if they wanted to. Uh, and uh, a guy called Mark Allen, who's their academy manager, who basically said, look, if I've got a daughter or a son who's a great cellist, I want him to go to the, or I want him or her to go to the best possible music academy. Their view is, or their, their contention is that a lot of parents are approaching them now directly because they know that they've got the best facilities. Now, we can look at that one or two ways, you know, the money that's being spent there is unrealistic, but they, and, and they do have a reputation for, let's say, being aggressive in terms of recruitment. Uh, but, um, you know, in overall terms, they have some really far-sighted guys working within that structure. So it's, it's like anything good and bad. To answer your question directly, there are, there are some very good academies uh, who, and it's interesting that you see them when they're turned out, the, the products are, are quite uniform. You know, um, since, uh, you know, um, Southampton is, uh, is Liverpool's favourite feeder club at the moment. Let's, let, you know, let's look at uh, Lalana, for instance. Uh, you know, very measured guy, emotionally intelligent, speaks well, you know, handles himself well in the public eye. Now, within the book, I've sort of spoken to someone like um, uh, Ward Prowse, James Ward Prowse. They could be brothers, 
because they get they they almost speak the same. You know, there there is a there's a measured, quite you know contained and quite impressive uh, demeanour there. So uh, that can't be an accident. You know, Theo Walcott's quite similar in that sense. Uh, Alex Oxley Chamberlain's come through that system. Very good talker. Whether he's worth thirty-five million pounds for Liverpool, I'm not sure. But there you go. Um, you know, in overall terms, there is a distinctive product from a distinctive culture at Southampton. I look very closely at the Tottenham Academy. That's a very that's very impressive in terms of their uh, main guy. There is uh, John um, uh, McDermott. He is one of the pioneers of, you know, the um, almost like fin- financial prudence. I know Alex Inglethorpe's taken the same view at uh, Liverpool. You know, forty grand for the first, you know, for your first pro contract. I think uh, John's is thirty-eight and he's been doing it for years. And it was interesting. John actually brought his players into into his office to speak to me. Um, and it was that was again, it was very measured and. So, for instance, he, had, he had, on his on his um, grapevine, he'd heard of a, a kid who was on scholarship money, which is about three hundred eighty quid a month, something like that, at seventeen. You see, the problem with that is he would go and play for England. This kid, and he'd be rooming with a Man City player or a Chelsea player who was earning five, ten grand a week, and you know, the greenbacks are greener elsewhere, aren't they? In that situation, so it's, you know, that can cause problems, but. There is a specific, you know, quite a measured approach at Spurs. <coughs> Excuse me. There was a to, to finish that story about that kid. John had heard that this lad was uh, about to hire a, a house for a night for a house party, and just went into one. One, you know, how are you going to afford that? And as as a punishment. But it, it wasn't a sort of severe punishment, it was an educational punishment. That lad then had to go and work with the ground staff in the training ground for um, uh, a month. So that he understood, you know, here's grown men, they're not that well paid, but they've got great professionalism and great pride in what they do. And, uh, you know, the kid, he, the penny dropped with the kid, you know. Yeah. Um, so, so that's another one. Uh, Dave Parnaby has just been uh, has just retired uh, from Middlesbrough. Wonderful guy, um, and I'd put Steve Highway in that bracket as well. Um, I think he uh, has has created um, a definable culture, which I don't know. You guys know far better than I, but I always had the sense that he was almost he drifted away from the club for a while. I know yeah. he was coaching unpaid in Florida before he came back. But there's someone who, you know, who is old, old school. But what, he, like all great coaches, he's a mentor to other coaches. And if you look at the the work that the or the the you know, so some guys are still there, like Mike Yates is still at, at the Liverpool Academy. Carl Robinson is probably the one who's come out and and, and gone on. And, and you know, Carl talks about how important Steve Highway still is to him in terms of his coaching, in terms of his philosophy and his attitudes, um, you know, to his work. So, um, you know, there are, there are, but it's interesting that those guys, 
So specifically Dave Parnaby, John McDermott, Steve Highway, you know, that you don't have to look too far at people say, oh, they're dinosaurs. Well, they're not. You know, they, they, they actually you know, have probably forgotten more about youth development than some of the guys who've got all the badges and all the, uh, all the analytics. And that's where I think the problem with the, the EP3, the, the Elite Player Performance Plan, is that you've got coaches now who are superficially at least very well qualified, but, you know, how much time are they spending on the grass? They're spending a lot of their time, because it's such a bureaucratized system, they're spending most of their time on a, filling in forms on a computer. We're losing sight of what the great, what I would call the great men of football, like a, a Steve Highway, represent, yeah. which is, you know, they, they are hard, they understand it's a brutal game, and they will probably, you know, well, they do, they make hard, hard and fast decisions on people. And, you know, they, they will ask in a sort of PC culture, how far can you push a kid? Uh, and you know they they you know they probably they they feel sometimes it's best to be cruel to be kind. So the whole the so someone like that can make a real impact at a football club. What I find really interesting with Liverpool, I don't know as much about Everton. I was uh, I was going to go in, unfortunately it, it, it never it never uh, transpired. I was going to go and see Peter Vint, who I thought was quite an interesting um, appointment at Everton. But if you look at Liverpool and the way Jurgen Klopp has almost restated, you know, the whole sort of culture of, you know, a bit like, you know, you mentioned the Millwall book right at the start. There is a definable culture to that club. I love it. It's 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 a blue collar club, and it's a it's it has uh, it demands certain things of people who play for it. And I think Klopp is recreating that sort of Shankly-esque um, um, culture, and. You know, I find it very interesting. When I, when I did my, my manager's book, I went to see Brendan Rodgers running to Liverpool. And we, one of the things we, we did speak about was uh, Pepe and, uh, Linders. Yes, um, uh, Now, he's a really interesting guy. And this whole idea of, of, of sort of inculcating, or in, sorry, introducing, you know, the sort of Woodburns and people like that into the first team group, Trent Arnold and all, all those guys. Um, so that they, it's a one-club mentality. Now, that's a really interesting one. And I think... Um, I think it's significant. You, you guys can tell me if I'm wrong, but my suspicion is it, it's significant that, that Steve has come back to the academy. Um, I think he's he's someone who, as you say, had had gone from the club really, and all those years of experience had been lost, Mike. And and yeah. it's interesting. I think that that Alex Inglethorpe, who you mentioned earlier, took the decision to ask Steve to come back because I think he was aware that he was someone who had a hell of a lot to offer, and he sort of coach for hire now across those age groups and goes in where he's needed really and uh, and and gives his you know his, his years of experience but it's interesting you talk about football dinosaurs to a certain extent Mike and, and there's a part of the book which is serialised in, in the Guardian today and there's a I think there's a phrase around um, the the the, the the gathering of data and how how people's and you talk about these people on computers all the time and yeah. and a lot of it being these coaches gathering sort of self-serving data almost now. Yeah. Liverpool has been a club that sort of since since FSG really have been owners were gathering of data and uh, well Mike and, Edwards and all that exactly. I mean he's someone who's seen us you know at the head of that and is now sporting director of the club. Um, is 
is that um, you know that is the development of, of data um, is that something that you have significant sort of question marks over over in terms of value? I think it's all down the balance. I, you know, I explored this to a degree in, in the Nowhere Men, the scouting book, where I, you know, I, I came up and um, uh, saw Damien Cavoli at, at Melwood, um, who was there at the time. And um, it's about eyes and ears, as well as facts and figures. Uh, to my mind, it's a balance. You look at you know the great American sports like you know the NFL or, or baseball. Okay, they're intrinsically different sports but they are data-driven to a large extent. Now, I don't think football is, is as suited to data analytics than maybe, say, baseball, which is a pretty binary game. The, the interesting thing about... The, the thing that I, that I, I feel is, is, is wrong in, in terms of the EP3 approach is the whole fact that, that coaches become glorified co uh, clerks rather than getting the... You know, getting the grass on their boots, basically. And I think that's that's where I think it's probably gone too far and it's become self-justifying. The money involved in that program is, is, is amazing. You know, they've spent $400 million on that already and they're going to spend another $400 million on it in, in the next four or five years. So, but what I'm saying is, well, okay, I look around and I see great technical players and, and you guys would, would probably have seen it, you know, academy level, sort of 15, 16, you know, that sort of age group. Where are they going? You know, where's the, where, you know, you look at the England team, where, where, where have those guys actually been produced? They've been largely produced as individuals in the Football League. So let's take, I don't know, Delhi Alley is a really good example. I've known Delhi since he was 16. First time I saw him, I, I knew, and it's just, um, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty bad judge usually, but I knew he was going to play for England. And it sounds absurd. And it was for, it was for my manager's book, and I was with A.D. Boothroyd, who's down in England on a 21 coach, when he was at Northampton struggling for his life. And it was in the dressing room beforehand, and there was a League Cup tie where Northampton played Milton Keynes Dons. And there was this 16-year-old kid, and Harry backed League Two players were trying to kick him over the stand, and he was laughing at them. And he, he just had such impudence and and self-assuredness. And then I saw, I've seen him develop. Now that kid developed over a hundred games in League One for Milton Keynes before he did his five million pound transfer to, to to Spurs. What he had was real world experience, and what what, what I look at. Uh, you know, I know Jurgen Klopp's talking about bringing them, you know, bringing kids in and not letting them go out on so many loans. I think it's essential that they go out and loan to actually learn to play against men. You know, I don't think Premier League Two fits the bill because of what I said earlier on. It's, it's pitter-pat, nicey-nicey football. What you need is to play in a team where if you make a mistake, your centre-half gets you around the neck and puts you up against the wall saying, you've just cost me my win bonus, how am I going to pay my mortgage this month? Yeah. That's, the, that's the real world. And, you know, I'm not saying that they need to be brutalised, these lads, but everything is perfect. I spoke to Duncan Watmore about it, and he said, look, a really intelligent guy, by the way, 
and he said that you know he he was at Man United, went out the game, went through to Altrincham, came back in with Sunderland. He said the the problem is is that when you're playing in academy football, you've got great coaches by and large, you've got fantastic facilities, you're playing on perfect pitches, but football is about um, dealing with adversity, it's dealing with a bad pitch, being on a you know a six-hour coach journey in League One, uh, you know, up to I don't know Carl and the Monday night, whatever it would be. That's where the that's where the issue is, um, and um, uh, you know we've got to look at how uh, boys are prepared to fulfil their talent. Is one of the problems, Mike, in terms of above maybe the youth development level, the, a first team level, you've got the the you explored in, in, in detail in the managers, but the shelf life of managers is getting smaller and smaller, oh. and they're taking the staff with them. You know, it's it's up up uh, heaval of clubs, in the, especially in the football league in particular. That one, they they can't sort of bring themselves to to put all their efforts into developing someone else's player, and and two, a big club, a Liverpool and Everton, have. Reservations about sending a player down to a club that feasibly could go through three managers in a year, three different styles of play, three different um, you know um, tactical systems and things like that. Is is that one of the problems that that's now filtering into the youth development as well? Yeah, I would say that that though, you know, that's if you've got to adapt to that, that's the reality. You know, professional sport is about adaptation, isn't it? Um, you know, I, I think there's a a good idea about um, uh, uh, it was actually Dave Parnham's idea initially, where he, you know, he said there should be a, a, a period where there's like a coaching registration for a kid, maybe up to twelve. Then they go in on the, on, on the, the professional professional um, uh, on professional forms. Um, give give a kid say four years to develop instead of like a one year contract, give him a four year contract. Taking that forward to, to the area that you've talked about there, boys need to play. They need, and, and the, the, the issue is exactly what you say. It's, you know, you, you look at, I don't know, let's, let's say, let's talk about Mourinho, who is, who is very sensitive to the fact that he is seen as someone who never gives youth a chance. Because he's a modern manager, he's a three and out, three years and out max manager. Most modern managers, don't uh, have any idea of, of what goes on at academy level. Yeah, you know, that's the problem because, you know, as, as quite a few of them said to me when I did the uh, uh, Living on Volcano, look, I'm not going to be here. Yeah, It's funny, no. Mar Roberto Martinez would go and watch the academy all the time at Everton. He was fully immersed in, in, in the life of the academy almost I think to the, the sort of chagrin of some of the coaches who felt he was poking his nose in every level but he wanted had it worked out for him to build a legacy and be at Everton for a long time ultimately results didn't go his way and, and he, he was out yeah. and Koeman's come in and he's on the other end of the scale whereby doesn't hardly know anyone's first name at the academy really pops into the very occasional game and yet took umbrage when it was suggested that he wasn't blooding Everton's younger players at the start of the season so and actually responded by giving Tom Davis a chance and mm. you know using Adam Luckman, another MK Don's lad who's, yeah. who's who's built his name over in League One. But you're right, it's either or, isn't it? And I suppose Mourinho and Cumin are of an ilk whereby 
they don't intend to be anywhere for one one game. Yeah, well, I, you know, managers like that are, are basically what I call "What have you done for me lately?" managers. Uh, and certainly, you know, I, I, I think Merrill Coombe is a, you know, a, a terrific manager. You know, I, I, I saw him up close in the in the manager's book. Very hard, pragmatic man. Um, but you know, if the need arises, he, he he will trust the young player. You know, it was interesting. Tom Davis, I saw quite a bit of him in the research for this book, playing for England under 19. Yeah. Um, and it was quite an interesting one. You know, he was he's such a throwback looking player. You know, <laughs> the, the socks down and everything else. And I could see him, uh, but there was there was there was there was. Talk, talking to the scouts, there were about 50 odd scouts at the last under 19 game I went to, and um, they were all there to look at um, a guy called Ryan Sessignon, who's, the, who's, who's at um, Fulham at the moment, sort of left sided full back yeah. winger, who, who is a definite, he's a certainty, an absolute certainty. Um, and they were looking at Davis, and it's funny, the, the, uh, the consensus in the scouts room mm-hmm. was, uh, yeah, you know, dynamic. Caesar pass. One or two were saying, "Not sure, has he got the pace?" Um, but he's come in and, and, and basically, you know, he, he's really adapted brilliantly to the Premier League. Yeah. You know, Holgate. Um, it is a difficult process. You know, we talked about earlier how there are there are arbitrary decisions, and also these days, the loan decision is key to a player's development. You look. I, I I saw Brendan Galloway play quite a bit at, um, at MK Dons. Yeah. Um, and he, you know, he was a sort of a central, uh, you know, central defender almost. But I saw him play right wing once, and you know, <laughs> he, was, he was playing all over the place. Looked a really, you know, good, talented player. Now he goes to the graveyard that is the Hawthorns. <laughs> Doesn't get a look in. Um, so that's where the 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 uh, the skill is in mm. modern player development. Is where's the best line? Where's the and, and this is where, you know, there are really good development coaches lower down the leagues. You know, I'd send a player to Carl Robinson every day of the week because he, he has an empathy with young footballers, and uh, I've watched him coach. He's very thoughtful, lively, um, likes to sound of his own voice. To be honest, but he's a good guy. Um, now you've got. Uh, I know someone I, I know really was well as, as a friend, to be honest, uh, uh, Ken Jacket, Kenny Jacket, where you know he's he's renowned within the game as a brilliant development coach as well as anything else. And you know, so if you're a Liverpool or an Everton, you could send the kid to him for a season. You know, Tottenham did with Harry Kane. He made Harry Kane at Millwall. Um, so there are good guys there, but he's he's picking them out and and basically. Aligning the culture of your club and the, your philosophy as a, a manager with the person you're going to entrust that kid to, and and that's the important thing. You know, there are guys lower down. You know, I'd, I'd send I'd send kids to Exeter City every day of the week because of Paul Tisdale, another great development coach. Um, so um, yeah, it is a really deli- a delicate process, but I I feel that most managers. Uh, they ignore. You, you mentioned legacy earlier on, and that's the title of one of the great books uh, about the All Blacks, about the All Blacks culture. And the All Blacks have a saying that 
plant the seed that you will never see to fruition. Yeah. And that's what management is all about. It's about planting the seed, uh, and you know that you'll be toast by the time, you know, you'll be history by the time that kid comes through. Um, We're seeing that a bit with Klopp, Mike, in terms of moving Liverpool's training ground next, joining it up with the academy, and obviously he, he, he's fully aware. You know that's a probably you know something that's going to take a couple of years, and yeah, he might see the end of it, but you know he's very much thinking, um, you know, it's something that will be part of his legacy, I think, and also I think he's already planning. It seems almost to try and create Steven Gerrard into, you know, the yeah. man, the manager who, you know, somewhere down the line will replace him or replace the man who repl- or woman who replaces him, and uh, um, it's it's you know he looks to have something of legacy in how he views things. Principally, I think because he he's he's been given time at the clubs he's gone to, hasn't he? He's got this you know seven years at Mines, seven at Dortmund, or whatever, and you know he's he feels like someone who's who's not going to be in and out of a club. Yeah, and, and, and you know he is the the exception to the rule in many ways. You know, obviously we've got you know Wenger. Um, you know, I, I'm not sure if I dare mention the name on this podcast, but you know Sir Alex Ferguson. You know, as, as a uh, as someone who's probably you know the last great dynastic manager. Um, it's funny, you know, I've been around long enough. To, uh, I can see parallels between. What Pochettino is doing at Tottenham, with what Ferguson did in '92 uh, at United, and and again in the broader issue that's covered by the book, uh, there was a phrase which came to my mind when I was doing it, uh, which is you know, it's almost become a cliche now. But um, you know when Ferguson says you know football bloody hell, well that you know there's a sense of you you know you can you can say that with in in several ways you know you say it as a sort of oh wow you know a sense of wonder about it but you can always say blindly you know football bloody hell what's he doing and i think it's interesting that that uh, that that ferguson was was very far-sighted even in his later days at united he helped um um sort of fund primarily uh, an organization called the players trust which um, has just been relaunched in, in, in the Commons, um, getting government support. It's an independent um, operation, um, non-profit making, because Ferguson, Ferguson saw the need for an independent operation, which you know essentially gave transitional support for young players who were going out of the game, the sort of people we've been talking about today. But you also saw the dangers of this sort of whole bling culture, you know, the entourages and, and you know the twenty grand watches and all that stuff that's going on in some academies or some some young players. So, um, you know, the, the 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 manager has to have um, faith that you'll be allowed to stay to do the job. Now, I think that's what that's what um, Klopp is doing at Liverpool. I look at Coman, and Coman's a completely different animal. Where he essentially is, is, is a is a two, three and out man. Yeah. I wouldn't expect him to hang around for for the long term. You know, I don't, you don't have to be a genius to work out that if, if Barcelona are really not in the door, he'd be on the first plane. Yeah, you know, and that's that's not a, showing any disrespect to Everton, but that's just that's just that's just football ambition. That's life ambition. You know. Um, uh, because it is a very disloyal 
against or militates against loyalty. Um, you know, you've got the whole Lukaku saga. Um, Lukaku is an, an interesting one, where when I was doing the, the scout book, I watched quite a bit of him playing development football for Chelsea. Oh, yeah. And I couldn't see him. I, 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 you know, he, he was obviously, he, he, there were times where he physically terrified people. Yeah. But his touch was appalling. It was appalling. You know, his first touch was a trap. Still is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But well, yeah, I, I, well, I, 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 you know, I, I sort of did a piece basically saying, you know, I couldn't believe that you know, that someone would pay eighteen million pounds to someone who you know, basically can't touch the ball. You know, it, it, it rebounds off it. Now he's not getting there. What is it? Hundred million now? Or, well, you know, so they're talking, yeah. Yeah. Well, if we're in think, think of a number and double it territory. Mm. Um, but again, there were there were very good judges, far better judges than I, looked at him in Chelsea development matches and said, "No, nah, not for me, not for me." Yeah, there's an obvious flaw there. So it's it's interesting. So you've got there you know, someone now as flavour of the month and you know, scoring goals for fun, terrifying defenders, yeah. but still has those technical flaws in his game. Yeah. What's that tell you about modern football? <laughs> <laughs> Mike, I, I think we should probably uh, give you a minute to think about this one because I think we should probably wrap up in terms of what what you'd like to see. Perhaps if if you were given if you were given license to maybe bring in one or two things that you think could be immediately helpful to youth football in this country. But I wanted to before we did that, I just wanted to get your thoughts on obviously Liverpool were in the news, the the first Premier League club to fall foul. Uh, openly of, um, of 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 essentially tapping up a, a 12-year-old at Stoke, uh, they admitted it. Uh, so they approached the player too early. They've obviously uh, been banned from signing young players from other English academies for uh, for a, for a couple of years. Um, it, it, there's a general vibe. It seems to me that most people think everybody's at it, and Liverpool are the first to perhaps to be publicly caught by the Premier League who do seem to want to tighten up the regulations and, and, and did a bit before Liverpool got caught is it from you from the people you've spoken to do you, is it endemic is everybody at it do you think yeah there's an element of Wild West going on um, you know I don't think it's wise probably to talk about the individual case at Liverpool and Stoke uh, because of you know, potential legal complications on that but what I would say is that I wasn't surprised by uh, the the nature of the story, uh, irrespective of the, the identity the clubs involved, I do think it's it is uh, uh, yeah, but the market, and you know, it is absurd. You know, you, you've got basically a, 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 you've got kids now who are being treated as sort of young tender pieces of meat, and. Basically, everyone everyone wants a slice. So, to answer your question directly, is this going out on elsewhere? Without a shadow of a doubt. Are there more clubs involved? Without a shadow of a doubt. You know, to quote the, the Premier League um, in the book, they're looking at multiple cases involving multiple clubs. So, yes. Um, and I don't think it's a bad thing, uh, and I would applaud the Premier League, be as harsh as possible in this area because a line needs to be drawn in the sand. This can't go on. And, and, and uh, again, with the book in mind, I hope it's 
the sort of debate that we've just been having because I think things have got to change. I think you still got to cherish that dream and you really should celebrate achievement and, and not shy away from sometimes the, the cost as long as it's handled properly. But most of all, we've got to protect the innocent. And at the moment, the innocent, the kids involved in those type of situations where the family is being engaged, you know, the whole, pl you know, they're sucked into this sort of chaotic professional world where the ills of the senior game, greed, opportunism, expedience, bullying, amorality, are seeping down into youth football. And that can't be right. So I think the it's incumbent on the football authorities to actually take this very seriously. And if, if that means that other clubs suffer Liverpool's fate, so be it. Um, because the key to this is that the, the innocent must be protected. And at the moment, they're not. Okay, uh, um, thanks very much for that, Mike. We could have gone on for another hour, I'm pretty sure. There's plenty plenty to discuss there. Um, in terms of the book, the book's out 20th of April, so that's uh, we're recording this on the Wednesday, that's out on the Thursday, the 20th of April. It could be very much be out and flying off the shelves by the time you listen to this. Um, so we wish you all, all the very best with the launch and, and the sales, I'm sure. I can speak from my own experience. The, the previous books were, were must-reads, and I'm, I'm, I'm almost certain that this one will be exactly the same as well. And hopefully, like you say, it stimulates the kind of debate that we've just had for the last the last hour here. So, Michael, thanks very much for your time. Really appreciate it. Cheers, no Mike. problem. No problem. Cheers, guys. Yeah, thanks. no problem. And thanks for listening, everyone, as well. Um, hopefully, get involved in the debate and let us know your thoughts as well, because it's uh, obviously a subject that influences a lot of people across football. Thanks very much. Wie had dat gedacht? Van shoppen in Milaan naar achter de koopjes aan. <laughs> Gelukkig heeft Telford smartpakkers. Niet het laatste model telefoon, maar wel de beste prijs. <laughs> dat is toch genieten? Geniet ook zonder te veel te betalen met Telford smartpakkers. Zoals de Samsung Galaxy S7 met 1 gig en 150 minuten. Nu voor maar 26,50 euro per maand. Doe je voordeel mee, Telford. Let op. Geld lenen kost geld.